Okay. The reading is from Mark chapter 4, starting at verse 35 and reading to the end. Sorry, I have to lift this up because it's very tiny. <laughs> so Jesus calms a storm. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with them, with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Thanks, Dekpa. You can have this. <laughs> Sorry, we'll put it over here. Good morning, everybody. It's, um, it's good to be here again. I don't get here very often. Oh, I'm a bit loud, I think. The, um, unfortunately, all these other pesky churches keep on wanting me to preach. And because officially we're still part of Classis Gippsland, like next Sunday I'm on the roster to preach in Dandenong. And uh, we have a, a preaching roster that goes around. I'd love to be here a little bit more often. Hopefully the week after that. I might be able to make it here. Let's just pray together. Father, we just pray for your anointing on your word, your word which is life to us, your word which cuts deep into our being. We pray that your word will just shape us and bless us. Holy Spirit, be our partner as we listen to your word. And we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. You know, thinking about what's been happening lately... So many well-known women have died recently, haven't they? I mean, some of them you mightn't know, but I know because of my age. For instance, Judith Durham. Wasn't it a shock when Judith Durham died? Olivia Newton-John, she died. But the one that probably gave us the biggest shock of all was when Queen Elizabeth died so quickly and so suddenly. And uh, it sort of touched me because she's roughly the same age as my own mother, my own mother only lived to the age of 72, which is the same age that I am now, but uh, she was a contemporary of Queen Elizabeth's. And uh, when she died, it, it sort of brings back memories of your own parents a little bit, especially your own mother. And I was thinking about my mum. She was quite an educated lady in Holland, the big boss of Albert Hein, which is a huge supermarket chain in the Netherlands. She spoke four languages and... Uh, she was very comfortable in her life. And then my dad decided that we would migrate to Australia. And that's a different story. I might have touched on that in the past. 
And I often wonder how it was for her because about two weeks before they must walk on the ice and he fell through the ice, he was a year younger than me, and uh, he drowned. And I thought, how on earth did she cope? You know, leaving everything you know, leaving a good job, moving to a farm on the Merry River in Queensland where there was no power, no bathroom, one tank with a tap, and that tank had frogs in it. And I thought, he died. We found a plaque. It was written in Dutch. And I thought that plaque probably summed up her faith because she was a woman of great faith. She never lost her faith. She never got depressed. She never got discouraged. She was scared of cows. But that was the only thing I can remember that she was scared of, which isn't good when you're on a dairy farm. <laughs> but at least she never had to help with the milking. My sisters did that. But I found this plaque. And this plaque said this. It was written in Dutch, but I'll give you the English translation. It said, God does not promise us a calm journey, but he does promise us a safe arrival. God does not promise us a calm journey, but he does promise us a safe arrival. And that's what I want five of Mark's Gospel, chapter 4. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go to the other side. That day. Now, that's significant. Those words are pretty important because it takes us back to the very beginning of what happened that day in John chapter 4. And we read this. Again, Jesus began to teach by the lake. This is verse 1. The crowd that gathered around him was so large that he got into a boat and sat in it out on the lake. So that's the context. Here's this huge crowd of people on the shores of Lake Galilee. And the crowd was so large that Jesus actually said to his disciples, look, can I get into one of your boats? Probably Peter's boat. Peter was a fisherman. Row me out from the shore and I'll speak to them from there. So there Jesus was all day in that boat. All day. He never moved from that boat. And when evening came, he said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Now you might think, okay, they want to have a little trip. They want to go for a pleasure cruise after the work of the day. But did you know that the disciples would have absolutely freaked out when Jesus said that? They would have freaked. You know why? Nobody ever crossed the Sea of Galilee in a small boat. You just didn't do it. I was doing a bit of research on this a while ago, and I discovered that fishermen on the Sea of Galilee only ever fished. So they would row their boats out a little way from the shore, maybe, maybe a couple hundred yards, a couple hundred metres, and they would drop their nets and pull them in, but they never ventured far from the shore. And the reason for it was that Lake Galilee is a very shallow lake. It's a bit like Bass Strait. And when the wind starts blowing and that wind can come out of nowhere, it becomes a ferocious place to be in in a small boat. The disciples freaked out. Not only were they dangerous waters, but why did Jesus say, let's go to the other side? Do you know what was on the other side? Pigs. Pigs. Pig farmers. And of course, pigs were unclean for the Jewish people. So on the other side were these pig farmers and they'd heard rumours of this demonic. Jesus says to his disciples, let's go to the other side. They probably had a conference and they said to each other, look, Jesus wants us to go to the other side. What will we do? Will we humour him? Will we just row our little way and then go in a big circle? Maybe he won't know that we're going. Jesus wants us to go to the other side. And so they set out. 
And I believe that they would have all been grumbling and complaining and mumbling and saying, Jesus, why do you want to go to the other side? Yeah, this is a dangerous place. And sure enough, look at what happens there in verse 37. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. And Jesus was in the stern sleeping. When he said to his disciples, I want you to take me to the other side, he went to the stern of the boat, lay down and promptly went to sleep. (laughs) So here's the disciples there rowing across to the other side. Jesus is fast asleep. And the disciples woke him and said, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. You know, I look at this and I think, just because Jesus was in the boat didn't mean that the storm wasn't going to come. Just because Jesus is in our lives doesn't mean that we're not going to get a rough journey at times. I remember many years ago making friends with a group of people called the Garden Island Community in the south of Tasmania. And uh, they had a very interesting story because they actually started off as a divine light mission, one of those eastern missions. And they'd bought land and uh, they followed their guru and they were living a very happy life there. And one day one of them decided that they wanted to get properly married. And so they asked this preacher to marry them. The only preacher they could find to marry them was this Seventh-day Adventist guy by the name of Jeff Rawlings. And Jeff said to them, I'll marry you on one condition that I can preach for 30 minutes. And they said, fine, you preach for 30 minutes, brother. We're we're happy, we're cool, we're fine with that. And uh, so he married them, he preached for 30 minutes and he preached about Jesus, he preached the gospel. And they got born again. They became Christians. The whole community started following Jesus. And we met them several years later. And they'd set up a pottery and all sorts of things there down at Garden Island Creek, just near Signet in Tasmania, the south of Tasmania. And I was talking to Tim one day and I said, Tim, I said, what was it like being in the Divine Light Mission, being in an Eastern cult? He said to me, Keith, he said, it was absolutely wonderful. We had peace. We were happy. We never, ever had any problems. I said, what's it like being a Christian? He said, it's been terrible. He said, we have all sorts of problems. We have all sorts of issues. We have all sorts of challenges. I said, why? He said, because when we were in the Divine Light Mission, Satan didn't care about us because we were his. He didn't bother us. The moment we turned to Jesus, we got harassed and we got attacked. But he said, there's no way we'll stop following Jesus Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. Here we have the disciples, these teenage boys, in a boat with Jesus. They probably thought, well, Jesus is with us. He's this great miracle worker. Isn't he the Messiah? Surely we'll be safe. And yet the storm still comes. The storm still comes. Don't ever think that because there are storms in your life that you're doing the wrong thing. As a matter of fact, you're probably doing the right thing. I remember a very old preacher once saying, I'm a bit worried because life's been too good lately. Life's been too good lately. If I was really threatening the enemy, I feel that I'd be more under attack. There's, there's truth in that. There's truth in that. Why did that storm come? Because Jesus was on his way to set a demoniac free, a demonized person free. 
He was on his way to set someone who was enslaved by evil spirits free. And I don't think Satan wanted that. So he attacks with all his might to try to destroy Jesus. My heart breaks when the disciples wake him and they say, Rabbi, don't you care if we drown? Don't you care? You know, it's a question that many of us have asked. God, don't you care? Jesus, don't you care? I remember I I preached on this at my brother-in-law's funeral because a lot of his friends weren't Christians. He was a teacher. And the last few years of his life were miserable because he developed Parkinson's disease. He ended up in a nursing home. He ended up... And a lot of his friends said, well, he was a follower of Jesus. Didn't God care? Didn't Jesus care? And that's the question that these disciples are asking. They're saying, Rabbi, teacher, don't you care that we're going to drown? You're sleeping and it looks as though you don't care. Many, many years ago, and I might have told I met a guy by the name of Cliff Richard. Does anybody know who Cliff Richard is? (laughs) Three people. It's all right. He's not dead yet. (laughs) As a matter of fact, I think he's about to celebrate his 80th birthday. And he's still singing. And um, I've got good memories of Cliff Richard because one day on our farm, middle of night, singing Cliff Richard's song, Devil Woman. And uh, my dad thought it was an omen that, you know, that the radio was a bit demonic, but he didn't realise that Cliff Richard was actually talking against these women that were into witchcraft because he was a committed Christian. Anyway, Cliff Richard was, uh, he came to Hobart and I got the opportunity to interview him with a whole bunch of other journalists because I was the editor of the Youth Herald. I don't know how we managed that. <laughs> but I got to interview Cliff Richard and I still remember him sitting there up on a bit of a stage. His socks were showing and his socks were actually Union Jacks. Never seen anything like that. We wore black socks or brown socks, but not Union Jack socks. And he's sitting there and at that time there was a terrible famine in Bangladesh. In Bangladesh. And you've probably seen pictures of little children dying. And I remember our TV screens were full of little babies dying in Bangladesh. It was a terrible, terrible time, an awful time. As a matter of fact, we actually, I met a lady at Transit a few weeks ago who was born in Bangladesh. And, uh, and she had this scar across her wrist. And I said to her, how did you get that scar? She said, well, my parents were in Bangladesh and when I was born they couldn't feed me so they got a machete and they cut my wrist and chucked me into the bushes. This is a true story. And he said, this other family came past and picked me up and they took me to Mother Teresa's orphanage in India and somehow she got to Australia. And it was an amazing story because she told me that all her life she could not use her wrist because all the tendons had been cut. And she wasn't a Christian. But one day she started going to church Um, Well, no, she didn't start going to church. She started going to a a sing-along, a Wednesday night sing-along. And uh, one day at this sing-along, because she used to enjoy music, this pastor came and and said, look, does anybody want me to pray for them? And he prayed for her, and her hand miraculously got healed. And she said, at that moment, I knew that Jesus was real. And she's become a follower of Jesus, quite a, a strong, powerful follower of Jesus. Anyway, come back to the story. Cliff Richard's sitting there and the journalist, of course, pipes up as journalists do and said, Mr. Richard, he said, can you believe in a God when all these babies in Bangladesh are dying? 
doesn't God care? Same question. Doesn't God care? I'll never forget Cliff Richard's answer. Cliff Richard said, Mr. Journalist, he said, two weeks ago I was in Bangladesh. He said, I visited there holding one of these little babies in my arms. And he said, as I held this baby in my arm, it died. But he said, I'll tell you something. I have never felt the presence of God so powerfully as I felt it at that moment. God was there. He was present. Yes, more than you can even begin to imagine. Didn't Jesus teach that? Matthew chapter 10. Jesus says, not even a sparrow can fall to the ground apart from my heavenly father. Apart from my heavenly father. The word will isn't in there. It's often in some of our translations. When a sparrow falls to the ground, somehow God is involved. Does God care? He cares more than we can ever, ever imagine. And he says to his disciples, <coughs> and we go on to verse 40, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? Don't you know me? Don't you trust me? Don't you trust me? You know, these disciples, they knew the Old Testament. They knew the promises of God. They knew that God promised that underneath are the everlasting arms, that no matter what happens, God is there. He'll catch us. He'll prevent us from falling. We don't need to be afraid. Jesus said, why are you so afraid? Don't you have any faith? Does God ever abandon us? The answer is no. I just reread one of um, Corriton Boom's books the other day, The Hiding Place. I picked it up and started browsing through it. And I got to a bit where she's talking with her sister Betsy. And Betsy is dying. Dying in Ravensburg, prisoner of war camp. And she said, Betsy, grab my hand. And she said, Corrie, when you get out, you've got to tell them. You've got to tell them. And Corrie said, Betsy, what do I have to tell them? And she'd known that Betsy had been through terrible suffering in that concentration camp. And Betsy said, you've got to tell them that no matter how deep, that there is no pit so deep that God isn't deeper still. Please tell them there is no pit so deep that God isn't deeper still. God won't abandon us. There's only one person who was ever abandoned by God, and that was Jesus, who was abandoned on the cross when he hung there and the sins of the world were placed onto Jesus. All our filth, all our suffering, all our pain, all our sicknesses, all our diseases, all the dirt, all our guilt was placed onto Jesus, the Son of God who'd never sinned. And he looks up and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He quotes one of the Psalms. The only one who was ever abandoned by God was Jesus. So that we would never, ever have to be abandoned. Now let's go on in this passage. I'm not going to focus on the fact that Jesus has got authority over the wind and the waves. Because that's a given. We know that he's got that authority. But I want you to look at the disciples again. I want you to look at the disciples again. There in verse 41. They were terrified. They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. Let me ask you about those disciples. 
Was their faith strong? No, it wasn't. Were they powerful, victorious followers of Jesus? No, they weren't. They were terrified, weak, faithless teenagers, petrified for their lives. But did they make it to the other side? Because this is important in this story. Did they make it to the other side? Yes, they did. And why did they make it? They made it because of Jesus. They made it because he has all authority and all power. Because he has the name that is above every name. That the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. And every tongue on earth and in heaven and under the earth shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's why they made it. If Jesus is in your boat, no matter what storms come, no matter how small your faith is, no matter how weak you feel, you will make it to the other side. Because to get to the other side doesn't depend on your strength. It doesn't depend on your faith. It depends on Jesus and what he's done for you. I remember one day lady in my congregation came up to me and she said, Keith, I want you to do the funeral for my mother-in-law. I said, when did she die? She said, well, she's not dead yet, but I want you to do a funeral. But I've got to ask you whether or not you want to do a funeral. And I said, why? She said to me, because she's an atheist. I said, I don't, I'll bury anybody as long as I can preach about Jesus. I don't mind that she's an atheist, but I'll preach about Jesus. But I said, can I stand on Valley Private Hospital? And I went to see her and I thought this is going to be interesting because I've got to talk to this atheist about doing her funeral. I said to this lady, I said, does she know I'm coming here? I've talked to her. She's happy for you to do her funeral. She wants to talk to you. So I went to see her and I went up to her and I said, her name was Mrs. Klein. I said, Mrs. Klein, she was a lovely old lady lying in the bed there. And she was weak. She was obviously dying. And, but she could still talk. And she had a very clear mind. I said to her, can I ask you this? If you were to die tonight, would you go to heaven? Do you think you'd go to heaven? And I thought, I'm really pushing it here, aren't I? <laughs> She's supposed to, I most certainly will be going to heaven. And I thought, oh, this is interesting. <laughs> She's probably like a lot of other people that I've spoken to who think they're going to go to heaven because they haven't done anything wrong. So I said, do you mind if I ask you a second question? Supposing you to die tonight and you were to stand before God and he said to you, Mrs. Klein, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? She looked at me and she said, I'd say, you've got to let me into heaven because I believe that Jesus on the cross paid for my sins. Well, the nurses had to pick me up off the floor, didn't they? <laughs> I thought, she's an atheist? Anyway, I found out what her story was. When she was a young girl, she'd grown up in a, in, 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 a, uh, in a Christian home. She'd gone to youth club. She'd given her heart to Jesus in mission of faith. And then she married a man who was an atheist. And this man said to her, I'll marry you on one condition. You're never allowed to mention God ever again in my house. You're not allowed to talk about God. You're not allowed to mention him. No one's to know that you actually were once a Christian I guess the flesh is weak, so she agreed. So she married him. They migrated to Australia. She had several sons, several children, and uh, not a single one of them ever knew that she was a Christian. She kept a promise. She never talked about it. And I 
got to do the funeral and I told them this story. I thought, they're going to be in shock now. I said, your mum is with Jesus in heaven because she's got faith in Jesus. And uh, I think it was quite a shock to this whole family of atheists. And um, I, um, I, I thought to myself, isn't this amazing? Was her faith strong? No, it wasn't strong. Did she ever do anything for God? No, she didn't do anything for God. Did she ever go to church? In the whole time she lived in Australia, she never went to church. Did she ever share the gospel with anybody? No, she ever did. Never did. But did she make it to the other side? Yes, she did. Because Jesus was in her boat. Because as a young girl, she'd asked Jesus into her life and he never let go of her hand. He... You know, a lot of parents have kids and they think their kids are lost and they've known their children when they were young children they had a real strong faith and then they've wandered away they become prodigals but don't ever give up because God doesn't give up if your child or if you have ever asked Jesus into your life if you've got a relationship with him if you've asked him to forgive you who has the name above every name in your boat with you and you will make it to the other side doesn't matter if your faith is as weak as a smoking wick, if it's as weak as a bruised reed, you know that beautiful passage in Isaiah 42. I want you to just close your eyes for a moment. We're going to pray. And, but in this prayer, I'm just going to read to you from this beautiful passage in Romans 8. Because this is what Paul's saying to us. This is true, absolute truth. Let's just close our eyes. Let's pray. The word of God says, no, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. The journey's rough. But God says to you, no, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, Neither height nor depth will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. Father, we take hold of that promise this morning. We all struggle. We know better than anybody else the, the ways in which we've failed and the sins that we've committed and the things that we hide deep inside from everybody. But we take hold of your promise, Jesus that you've won the victory, that when you're in the boat with us, we will make it to the other side. Just bless us, Jesus, we pray in your precious name. Amen. Amen.